Hey, you're listening to American Student Radio. I'm Sarah Panfell. And I'm Carter Barrett. We're your hosts for the next half hour. Before we get started, Carter, what are you wearing? Sarah, this is a radio show. Why does it even matter? Okay, come on, just like tell me, what are you wearing? Okay, I'm wearing glasses, a silver necklace, black jeans, and a plaid shirt. I like the shirt. It's like a simple blue and plaid button-down, professional but cute. But you know, even what we wear, a seemingly simple fashion choice, it communicates something. Depending on who I am, when I look at that shirt, it could make me think of lumberjacks and log cabins. Or maybe I'd see the tag and judge the company it's from. Honestly, this shirt was the first clean thing I could find this morning. Um, But it's soft, and it was a gift from my mom. But still, what I put on in the morning sends a message, whether or not I realize it. That message may be lost, misinterpreted, or transformed. The same is true in any act of communication, not just in fashion choice. And we know it can get complicated. But no one can deny that what and how we communicate is important. When our attempts to communicate succeed, when we reach an understanding, we're often better for it. So this week we ask, what are you trying to say? What are you trying to say? This is a show about communication. In the upcoming half hour, you'll hear from a millennial whose choice to get a tattoo conflicts with her parents, Bloomington community members confronting modern white supremacy, and a cross-cultural romance in Morocco. Yep, I'm stoked. We hope you'll stay with us. From Bloom, from uh, okay, live, live. What is it? <clears throat> oh, ready? Should I do it again? From Indiana University in Bloomington. From Indiana University in Bloomington. This is. This is. This is American Student Radio. Real chill, real chill. Aliens, conspiracy, journalism, and lesbians. Sarah, do you have any tattoos? No, I don't. I haven't made up my mind if I ever want to get one. Yeah, neither have I. It just seems so permanent, and that's great if you know what you're trying to say. But I wonder if that permanent statement, I want to make it 22, will be the same at 40, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, back when I was 16, I was going through an astrology phase, and I was convinced that I wanted the sign of Sagittarius tattooed on my wrist, like a little black arrow. But I wouldn't want that tattoo now. I could see wanting a tattoo of your favorite character in a book or a loved one's name. But another thing that holds me back is a tattoo can really upset your family. In the next piece, reporter Noni Ford talks to her friend who decided to get a tattoo despite knowing her parents wouldn't approve. Tarek Warner and Carter produced this piece. Tattoos are a permanent statement of what you want to communicate to the world. To have this piece of artwork on you that says so much about you, but one that you need to keep hidden because of the feelings of your family or sometimes your culture, which views women with tattoos as loose or dangerous. The friend I interviewed is my friend Atrey, who I met about two years ago. She got her tattoo last semester. I had been planning it for four or five years, but I never had the money. And then I got my first paycheck, and the day I got it, I called Evil by the Needle and made the appointment. And I don't think there was any, like, nervousness going into it, because I knew that I wanted it for a long time. So the tattoo is a bell jar with the phrase, I am, repeated inside it three times. 
and it kind of has to do with my journey with depression and mental illness. So it's a reference to the book The Bell Jar by Sylvia Plath and it talks about depression especially in the context of being a woman. And I just was thinking about the journey that I had had coming here from another country and how much I had grown and how you know I had been able to save up. So I think I was just thinking of like me as a 16-year-old reading The Bell Jar unaware that I was ever going to get the tattoo but life circumstances leading me to getting it. And I think I wanted to say that I even though I'm in the sciences I do have like a creative side or just an artistic side. For the people who do know me, I feel like I want them to understand kind of the struggle that I went through with depression and the struggle that I I still sometimes go through. Um and incorporated into their understanding of me as a person because it's a huge part of who I am. What would your parents say um who I've been told don't know about it? What would they say if they um saw the tattoo today? They would probably know would not know what to think. Tattoos are very non-normative in my culture. I'm Indian. Um and there aren't a lot of people who get tattoos. or who get visible tattoos at least. I don't think my parents have ever been around people who have tattoos. Um they would also be really concerned about the pain even though like it's already in place, like the pain is over, like I don't feel anything anymore. So they would probably think it's it's really strange. I think my dad would be like, "Why did you do that? Like this is so stupid. Like why on earth?" And I think my mom would get the meaning behind it because she was the one who actually gave me the bell jar as a book. I don't think she's read it, but she roughly knows what it's about, but she would be like, "Why would you do that? Like why would a Bengali girl do that?" Like they would be concerned about me on my wedding day wearing a sari and having my tattoo exposed. But, you know, I think I look cool still. Not that I'm planning a wedding day anytime in the future, but yeah. So I'm just going to wait until I get into grad school if I get into grad school um to tell them yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just wait because then they'll be like oh well you know she'll she'll be a professor so it's probably fine This is Noni Ford reporting for ASR if Sylvia Plath would have expected her book to inspire a tattoo. I don't think that would have been on her mind while writing the bell jar. Probably not, but it can be great when words inspire someone for the better. Sadly, words can also incite hate and violence. It's hard to know where to begin when we talk about terror. In August, the violent white supremacist Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia, horrified the nation and the world. Terror like this unfortunately is nothing new. But what do these events communicate to the public? And how do the communities targeted talk to each other in the aftermath? In the following piece, producer Keenan Rhodes shares his own experience. He speaks with IU students Olivia Malone, George Hutchins, and Aaron Griffin about their initial reactions and emotions following the rally. I remember being at a black journalist conference in New Orleans. I was in my hotel room at the desk when i see my phone go off with all of these news updates about charlottesville i open up my phone and i see images of torches 
of white supremacist symbols of counter-protests, of violence. And it was pretty disturbing, to say the least. But that was only day one. Day two, I heard about... Seeing these things combined reminded me of a past that I was only familiar with by pictures. Although the reminders of the threat to my life as a black man in the United States come very often, Charlottesville felt different. Where were you when you heard about Charlottesville and how did it make you feel? So I was in Bloomington over the summer taking classes and once my classes ended I went home to spend like a week and a half with my family before coming back to school. So I was in Columbus, Indiana at my home with my family when I heard about Charlottesville. I suppose if the question is about how it made me feel, it was immediately scared. And then, and then you know how we all get numb to information as it continues to, to wash over us. I was in Chicago. I was working an internship during that time. Um, so I was really focused on my research, doing the work I was doing during that time. But when I heard about it, um, initially I was shocked. But just thinking about what I know about, I mean, the state of where we are as a country in light of recent events such as the election, uh, I became less shocked and more just disappointed and saddened by the events that were going on, that we're still so divided over issues like this and that it had to lead to loss of life. At home? at my new residence and the near west side of Bloomington. And I believe I was talking with my roommate, Elijah, about it. Whenever whenever I hear news about racial tensions or, I guess, conflicts that have to do with race, for me it's always a continuation of of an event that has been ongoing for decades, if not centuries. And so whenever I hear something tragic like this has happened... Uh, my first instinct is, you know, what what could happen next? That was producer Keenan Rhodes with music by Kylo Bott. Thanks to Keenan for sharing the stories of community members engaging in difficult conversations. At this point in history, it seems like most of us are engaging in difficult conversations. In the last week or so, Sarah, I'm sure you've heard about the allegations against Harvey Weinstein. 50 women made allegations against him for sexual misconduct. It's really sad, but as two young women ourselves, not unbelievable. Yeah, Harvey Weinstein was this huge Hollywood producer. Uh, What's more unbelievable, frankly, is that there were so many people courageous enough to come forward against him. And that in the following days, Weinstein was then fired. Right. Eleven women accused the president of the United States for the same behavior, and there were no consequences. Dozens of women also came out against Bill Cosby. Similar story. I really feel blessed that I've never been sexually assaulted, but I've never been able to forget that I walk through the world as a woman. For me, it's the little things that get under my skin. The offhand remark to smile more, someone shouting from their car, or not feeling safe walking home at night. Yeah, I have those same thoughts. We're two early 20-somethings. I'm 21, you're 22. These are the conversations we're having about sexual assault and predatory behavior. Is it safe for me to walk back to my home on a Friday night? What if I forgot my pepper spray? 
Will individuals accused of sexual assault or predatory behavior be properly investigated? Because as it stands, in our own experience, that hasn't been the case. I wonder if there will ever be justice for this sort of thing. I wonder if we need to rethink how we define justice. These are the conversations we'll be having in our communities for years to come. And hopefully they are conversations that won't only exist online, but they're conversations that will lead to action that benefit those who have been underserved or wronged. I completely agree. Um, But Sarah, let's take a step back from this now. We have other things to talk about. I agree. Like, let's talk about love. Can we really talk about miscommunication and not talk about love? Mm. What are you mm-mming? I have a special place in my heart for study abroad romance stories. A classic trope. You did spend a year in France. Do you have anything to share? Maybe another time. I'll say that in love and romance across cultural boundaries, the potential for miscommunication is endless. Our producer, Sophia Salbi, brings us her own story from her time studying in Morocco. There are several things you need to know about me before I tell you about how I got tangled up in a romance with a Moroccan boy. First, I'm 21 and have never been in a relationship or even really dated anyone. It's not that I haven't wanted to, it's just never happened. Second, in January of this year, I went abroad for the first time in my life to study Arabic in Rabat, Morocco for a semester. I think for many, there's this idealized version of a romance abroad. You leave the country and meet someone at a coffee shop or at an art gallery. Maybe they're mysterious and different. Something about the fact that they grew up in a culture other than your own makes them more attractive. And while you don't really speak the same language, you can still communicate through romantic gestures and stolen glances. Okay, so on the plane to Rabat, I wasn't preoccupied with dreams of meeting a mysterious stranger. But hey, that image was there. I met Rami about a month into my program. My friend, another study abroad student from America, had met him before me through a Moroccan friend that worked with our program. She told me he was cute, but I think it was in that way that friends say a guy is cute to try and match you guys up. But I remember seeing him for the first time. She had lied. He was not cute, but very cute. Like, way out of my league cute. He was taller than me, and I'm like 5'10". Um... He had really nice cheekbones and a really nice jawline. He had dark hair and a beard, and and he always wore a backwards baseball cap. But I'll just say that pictures didn't do him justice. He was also nice, like the time he bought me tea or wanted to make sure I didn't have too far to walk home alone at night. But Rami was also 28 and didn't speak English, and I didn't know enough of the Moroccan dialect of Arabic at the time to really communicate. Anyways, we hung out a few times, always in groups, but there were coffee shops and concerts. I could never really tell if he was nice to me because he was just a nice person or there was something more. I just knew that I had a big crush, but I really didn't think much more would come of it. That was until I got his phone number. Side note, I didn't have data on my own American smartphone, so I had this old Moroccan phone for my program. This thing wasn't even a flip phone. It was like a brick. And it was the type that you had to buy minutes every couple weeks to make sure you could send texts. Anyways, because these phones don't have an Arabic keyboard, Moroccans have to approximate Arabic letters using a French keyboard. So like the Arabic letter Bab was obviously just a B. That's easy. But there are some Arabic letters that don't exist in English or French, like the aspirated H, 
huh, so you use a seven. This method becomes even harder because everyone uses slang or different translations, so there's really no standard way to text or understand each other. Again, I didn't really have a good grasp on the dialect, so texting not only took forever because I had to dial out every letter, but because I had to translate in my head what I wanted to say into Arabic, and then into the Moroccan dialect, and then into a transliteration that, again, was very slowly typed into my phone. And to make things more difficult, he, of course, didn't have a smartphone either. (laughs) I first got his number to invite him to my birthday party that was happening a couple days later. I said something like, it's my birthday this week, would you come to my get-together on Wednesday? And I thought I had had it down perfectly, he would totally get it, but immediately there was a problem. He thought I had meant the party was the day that I had texted, but no big deal, we figured it out. He could come to the party on Wednesday, no problem. In the subsequent days as we texted, I ended up recruiting another friend, Ahmed, as my official translator. My Moroccan phone would buzz with a new message. I would type that message to Ahmed over Facebook, and then he would translate it. I would tell him what I wanted to say back, and then he would translate that. Then I'd send it back on my old Moroccan phone, and this is basically how it went. And it was in those first messages back and forth and back and forth that I expressed worry about this new relationship. On my birthday, I sent Ahmed a message about Rami. Communication is not our relationship's strong suit. It was later that day on my birthday that this became even more clear. My friends and I were at this bar called Ladao, but we just called it the boat bar because it was in a boat docked to an inlet of the Atlantic Ocean. For some reason, there was always a reggae cover of an Adele song playing at this bar. Anyways, he came to my birthday with flowers and sweets. He had left work early and had put on a nice shirt. It was very kind, but awkward, and I wasn't sure how much time I should spend talking to him, or trying to talk to him, or just to my other friends. Again, I want to remind you that we didn't speak the same language. I remember my stomach dropping when he showed up. This was a real person that I was projecting all these romantic stereotypes onto. It came down to the fact that not only did I not know what he wanted out of our relationship, I didn't even know how to ask. I felt guilty, like it was only a crush, right? But something about that moment struck me at my birthday. I felt so uncomfortable. For me, that language barrier did matter, and I couldn't get by the idea of a whirlwind romance, so I had to stop. He sent me a text a week later telling me that he missed me. I responded as non-committally as I could, calling him a good friend for saying that. Towards the end of the program, I was walking to a restaurant and I saw him a few blocks away at a grocery store. He hadn't seen me. My friend and I turned around and walked in the opposite direction, and that was the last time I saw him. For American Student Radio, I'm Sophia Salaby. The music in that piece was provided by Poddington Bear and Kevin McLeod under a Creative Commons license. Sound provided by Smartwink Cody, UWE Sound Boys, and Yugi16DM. You also heard a cover of Adele's Rolling in the Deep by John Moment and Xena by Babylon. That bit about transliteration makes me feel exhausted. It's really hard for me to talk with my French friends online, and that keyboard barely changes. I think what people don't realize about learning another language is that it has a lot more to do with cultural context than just grammar. Okay, so we're going from one romance to revisiting many romances and remembering how you're different because of them. For our last piece, we've reached into the American Student Radio archives. This piece comes from ASR alumnus Danny Costanzo and Alex Daly. 
Today, we're adding Michelle to the entanglement. Um, I'm Michelle. I'm a sophomore in SPIA studying policy analysis. Like many of us, Michelle has dated in college. I suppose I would define Ben with as being more like emotionally invested. And I would probably say five or six in my more adult life. But before I go any further, I should warn you this will be different than any episode we've done before. I will say this particular topic has me a little bit squeamish. (laughs) They're all wild cards. Like, I don't know what to expect. Because I'm not just adding Michelle to the entanglement. I'm also adding her exes. I would probably say that the first person I dated was Daniel. Pretty funny, quintessential high school relationship where he was like the class clown goofball that everybody loved being around. Um, And we just kind of dated on and off, I think, starting our freshman year of high school through most of sophomore and some of junior. We grew up together, so we're still pretty good friends. Growing apart is a completely okay thing, and that's not something that I understood before. Unfortunately, Daniel never replied to our attempts to contact him. Moving on to the next guy. Probably Nick. We were involved at a time where I was really changing as an individual. Decided to go to college, decided to pay for college, decided to change my major to the point where I look back at who I was when we started dating and I don't really recognize that person. I think he was there for like the catalyzation of my transition into adulthood, which is kind of interesting. My name is Nick. I was a senior in high school. We do this like uh, senior talent show where like 10 boys sign up and like do a bunch of different like acts and whatnot. It's like Miss Universe, but with like high school seniors. <laughs> and we were both helping my friend JD with a song he wanted to cover. I played guitar, she sang, and we just kind of like hit it off from there. I generalize it into two parts. So there was like the high school and then me going off to college section. And then we broke up when I was a freshman and then got back together. I don't know. A lot of the times I remembered that I enjoyed was just like when we did nothing. Like we just like sit on a couch or like lay in a bed, listen to music, talk about whatever was on our minds at the time. Our personalities are really different. She's a lot more extroverted. She's a lot more bubbly. I'm very much introverted. I think it was a problem mentally in the sense that like we think we're so different so that we couldn't make it work out. I've become probably more social just by reflecting on how she was and how I should have acted in the sense that like, oh, like, it's so easy for her to say hi to people. Why can't I do this? I feel like I've just matured in general just because breakups mature you. This is like something I think about a lot, not just like the breakup, but just the fact like when I break up with people, it's like, that's it. I think that can be perceived and was perceived as hostility. I think I learned from my breakup with Nick that it is totally fine to put the past on a shelf and just keep moving forward. And with Nick, because he's more comfortable not communicating anymore. That that was hard for me because several months later, I wanted to go back and say, you know, you were really there for me and I couldn't even verbalize that. After Nick and I broke up, I was almost 20 and had never dated anyone that wasn't from my hometown. I eventually met someone that I thought it was going to turn into something serious and it didn't, and that was Justin. The night we met was Halloween and I was going to a house show um, to meet up with one of my friends and a few of her friends who were just going to be there. And I made this ridiculous Batman costume. And I walked into the party, and I remember hearing from four or five frat guys, like, that thing's going to get you laid. And it was funny, um, (laughs) because it did. (laughs) I was more nervous to kiss her the second time that I kissed her than the first time that I kissed her. Because the second time, we had, like, gone on a date, and things had seemed a little more formal. It was different than... 
I guess what you would just call a, a hookup the first time. And that's definitely a realm I've never, I had no idea what that difference was like, and now I do. I, I certainly wouldn't say we were dating at any point. This thing only lasted maybe a month and a half, um, and it certainly wasn't official in any sense. It was difficult because like, in getting to know her, I was really excited to like, keep getting to know her. When it came down to it, it was just the, uh, like, I'm not in a place where I can be in a relationship right now. And that was, that's something that you can't argue with. You can't tell someone that they are. That's not being supportive. That's just being needy. For me, at least, it drops as like a missed opportunity in a lot, in a lot of ways. To put it plainly, it ended because she ended it. And that's okay. You know, it's fine. I feel like I have a better understanding of how relationships can come and go now. I think it's probably fair to say that I owe her a thank you. I, I was just so impressed with his like individuality and his maturity and his like he was just so on fire for what he was doing and for life and he was such a curious person and I was really into that but it just kind of bottomed out as I don't know we both were just so so busy and I never thought that that was a real excuse until you know I was living that reality I've always been really nervous to tell people you know I can't do that because I need more time for myself. I always saw that to be a huge like character flaw. And I think that was the first time that I ever really vocalized that like I just needed to focus on myself. I guess what I learned there was that it's completely okay to put yourself first and that doesn't make you a bad person. And while each of Michelle's relationships has been different, she still sees similarities between the breakups and how the relationships affected her. I can take breakups pretty hard. I want to stay friends with everyone. It's hard to watch your closest friends continue without you sometimes or vice versa. You've invested so much of yourself in this person and it's so hard to leave that be. There's this general understanding that like you still care, you still always will. Dating has made me think about what I want from those different aspects of adult life and my mind has changed because of the conversations that I've had and they've triggered some different thought processes and I don't know. I'm I'm so different now than I was when I, you know, had my first boyfriend. It's it's funny and I do attribute a lot of that to the guys, the young men that I've met and that have challenged me. I think dating has taught me that your relationship with yourself is far more important than your relationship with other people. I think dating has helped me to become that person that holistically is is genuinely happy and comfortable. For The Entanglement in American Student Radio, I'm Alex Daly. So those were producers Danny Costanzo and Alex Daly doing an episode of a podcast they ran together called The Entanglement, which was all about college relationships. They have since graduated, but all of their pieces are available on the ASR SoundCloud. Okay, so before we go, I have to share something about an unexpected communication. Okay, I'm intrigued. What's up? Well, guess who I got an email from? Mm, I don't know. Who? Okay, guess. You know her, and not just you, Carter, but anyone listening to this has at least heard of her. Ooh, I don't know. Um, Malia Obama? She's pretty cool. Yeah, I wish. A lot less cool. Actually, I got an email from myself. 
All right. Uh, explain. Four years ago, I used one of those websites to send an email to my future self. Last Wednesday, I woke up early to a notification on my phone from the past. Okay, so what did it say? Okay, quick qualifier. I was 18 when I wrote this, but here goes. Right now, it's 11.54 p.m. on a Wednesday. I haven't finished my homework. Yes, relatable. Nothing has changed. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Okay, school is really stressing me out. I'm about to apply to colleges, and I'm really hoping to get into a school I'll love. I hope wherever you are, you are enjoying yourself. I hope you are surrounded by good people and good vibes. Call mom and dad if you haven't in a while, because they are the best. It's cute. Also a little cheesy, but cute. (laughs) Oh, no, it's like, it's quite cheesy. It's pseudo-inspirational all the way, but it's earnest. I said... Remember to be adventurous and don't doubt yourself. Even if life is getting you down, please remember that it is all going to be okay. That's so funny because you didn't know it was going to be okay. What if, what if it wasn't and you got this okay. email? Yeah, right. sh- oh, okay, okay. Shh, shh, shh. <laughs> Listen to 18-year-old me. Just as long as you're trying to be happy as much as possible. I can't believe the next time I'll be reading this, I will be a senior in college. It seems impossible, but I know it'll happen so much quicker than I expect. Please enjoy every moment you can. I love you. I believe in us. Wishing you well, your past self. Thank you so much for listening to American Student Radio. I'm Carter. And I'm Sarah. Tune in next week for our spooky Halloween special hosted by Catherine De La Rosa. Thank you for listening to American Student Radio. We're produced by students at Indiana University Bloomington. Our theme music is provided by Lunamatic. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash American Student Radio and follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Snapchat at ASR Voice. We broadcast new episodes every Sunday at noon on WIOX and stream on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash American student radio. You can subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.